God is about restoration. So if out of that encounter that you have with Jesus, there is no restoration, there is a huge problem. When you serve a God of restoration, it implies that your life somehow has to be restored. It has to change. Otherwise, it'll be an oxymoron to serve a God of restoration and your life never changes. God bless you. It is a pleasure to speak to your life. I want to tell you that God has great things planned for you and that these are revealed through his word. Therefore, I encourage you to prepare your heart and to prepare your mind to hear a powerful word spoken through Pastor Richard Torres. Let's listen. Amen. So we want to welcome all of you again. It's so, so good to see you. And we want to welcome those that are watching online that we have not had the ability to see you. We miss you. And hopefully one of these days we get to see you again. Amen. And those of you that are watching from far away, maybe one day we can get to see each other as well. Uh, today we will continue with our series at Bethesda. Um, I see the two good-looking young men in here that we hadn't seen in a little while. So excited that you guys are here. So excited. Amen? There's three. Well, yes, yes. Yeah, the other one is not as young, but yes. All right, at Bethesda, at Bethesda. Last week, we started a new series. The title of it is At Bethesda. And the idea of this series is that you and I get to see what this church should be about, that we can see what does it mean to be at Bethesda? What does it mean? What, what is it to be part of a ministry such as this? If you're home and this is your church, this is what this ministry should look like. This is what it should happen at Bethesda. It's intended to display what we are about as a church. There are many churches out there. And I believe that every church has a unique task given by God. There is no better or worse. There is unique task. Everyone has a different task. Just like you and me, we all have something unique that God wants to do through us. And we can all work together and we can go in the same direction. We can take care of different needs. And so I believe that's what churches do. Between all the churches, we form the body of Christ. Some of them do some things, some others do other different things. And so what is it that this church should be about? You know, as a church, we know that we are here to change lives through love. Amen? You, if you're part of this ministry, you should know at least that. Changing lives through love. Amen? So our responsibility, our only responsibility in that statement is love. The changing part is not our responsibility. Let me say that again. The changing part for you is not the changing. Excuse me, the, the, the part that you're responsible for, it's not changing. It's loving. Because you see, in relationships, for instance, in our marriage, we think our responsibility is the changing part of our spouse. It is my responsibility to change you. Not for another one to change you into a better Husband, into a better wife. Listen, if you're part of this church and this statement is something that you want to live by, changing lives through love, our only responsibility in that statement is the loving part. The changing part is not our responsibility. 
You see, because when you get into trying to change people, you get into difficult situations. Like for instance, the fact that when you're the one doing the changing, you may want them to look like you or to talk like you or to act like you. I don't know if that would be a great thing or not. You got too quiet. Is it not a good thing for you? You see, people don't have to be transformed to our image. It's God who does the changing. Amen? It is not up to us to determine what people should become. We love, we preach, we teach, we speak against sin. We speak against sin, but it's God who does the changing. Listen, our responsibility is to say that homosexuality is a sin. Our responsibility is not to condemn people. Our responsibility is to love them, and God does the changing. Does that make sense? You see, homosexuality as a sin, it, it, it portrays something a little different than watching pornography as a sin. One of them, you would think it's bigger than the other. Yes, you would think one sin is bigger than the other. But the reality is that they're both sins. Only one is visible, you would hope. Only one is visible. While the other one can hide under a sport jacket in a tie for many years at a church. But you want to change the one, focus on the one, while the other one, what about the other one? You see, our responsibility is to love, to preach, to teach the truth of God. It is not our responsibility to change people. I, I, I share some of this last uh, week on the Spanish service. I didn't get to say it on the English. Um, I believe that's one of the reasons why these groups hate the church. Because in our effort to change them, we condemn them, accuse them. And our responsibility is to love people not to make them feel like animals. Are you here? Or am I going too far for our doctrine? Our responsibility is to love people, and I know it's difficult, but our responsibility is to love on people. Let God do the changing. Your responsibility, my responsibility is to speak what the Bible says, and it is God's responsibility to do the changing in their lives. I believe that's one of the reasons why there is so much animosity. Is that how you say it? Animosity? Against the church. Because sadly, before we show mercy, we like to condemn people and point the finger. Our responsibility is to love people. As a young ministry, if we're going to change lives, young ministry, this ministry, with this the church, if we're going to change lives through love, we all have to be in the same page. If you're part of this ministry, we all have to be in the same page. As you're driving on the streets, it has to be noticeable that you go to Bethesda Church. Not by doing crazy driving. Yes, not by doing hand gestures with one finger only. No, that's, that is not acceptable. Listen, if you're part of this ministry... We all have to be in the same page, pushing in the same direction, every one of us, okay? So what people feel 
when they come to this place, listen, it will be produced by the atmosphere that you and I create in this place. It is our responsibility to create an atmosphere, a culture in this place. What is it that that people feel when they come into this place? What is it that people experience when they come into this place? What is the culture of this church? All of us have to be in the same pace. And I'll mention what I said last week just really quickly for a couple of minutes, and then we'll move into what I want to share with you today. In order for us to change lives through love, we have to create a culture that is displayed in the following way. Number one, we have to practice mercy and grace. If you're, if you're part of this church, this is, something, this is something that you should display, practicing mercy and and grace. I want this place to feel like. I want this place to smell like mercy and grace. I want that whenever Zacchaeus comes through those doors, I, I, I want this place to instead of condemn him for his current identity, for what he is right now, I want this church to really see what he can become. I believe that Jesus saw this guy that, that was not really liked by his people, by the Jewish people, saw him as something that he could mold into something amazing. And that's what I want us to do in this place, that when the woman that was caught in adultery walks through those doors, I want us to see her not like the religious leaders, but I want us to see her like Jesus, saying, hey, where are those that are accusing you? Go and sin no more. Do you know what mercy and grace smells and feels like? Do you? I want this place to feel like, to smell like that. There is, there is a quote that I want to share with you. It's by Bob Goff. If you have not heard from him, you should look him up. He's a really, really funny guy, but powerful in communicating principles that God has in store for you and me. I want to I share with you this quote that he said. We are to practice mercy and grace. This is what he says. Grace never seems fair. Grace never seems fair till you need a little. Grace never seems fair for the other one. But when you need it, oh, it's amazing. Practice mercy and grace, church. We're going to say that enough in this place where we practice mercy and grace. Number two, we want to welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. This place in John 5 was packed with sick people. There was a multitude of sick folk in there, multitude of sick people. They were all there because they needed healing. I want this church, I want this church to make no difference when dealing with people to love people just as they come. Let God do the changing. Let God do the moving in their lives. Do you know that there are people in the church that still need healing, restoration, transformation? I'm not talking about only newcomers. I'm talking about people that have been in church for years. They need mercy and grace. They need healing. And we are to welcome everyone in this place. Amen? We all need healing. And number three, so this is what this culture should be about. Practicing mercy and grace, okay? 
and we are to welcome everyone. And number three, we are to wait for the moving of the Holy Spirit in this place. Waiting for the moving of the waters. That's how these people were described in there. I, I really want us to have the expectation that God is going to do something amazing. The anticipation that something is going to happen in this. I'm telling you, if we get to, uh, if we get to create that culture in this place, there is no telling what God is going to do in here. Imagine a place, sad that we get to say, imagine a place that practices mercy and grace. Okay, Imagine a place that welcomes everyone. We're not judging people. We're welcoming everybody. We're loving on everybody regardless of their condition. And number three, that we are all waiting with anticipation, the moving of God. Can you picture what that looks like? The expectation and anticipation that God is going to do something. Can you imagine what that looks like? You know what that looks like? It looks like that they have not started singing yet and you're already in the altar waiting for this to happen. You know what that feels like, what that looks like? The pastor didn't call anybody to come to the altar, but they're jumping to go to the altar because they're expecting that God will do something. You know, even though I didn't understand what the pastor said, I didn't understand one thing he said. But I know today God is going to do something. So regardless, despite of him, God is going to bless me today. You see, that's anticipation. That is expectation. And when, when there is a people that have that kind of environment, amazing things happen in that place. So that's what this church is about. Amen? When we as a church manage to create this culture, listen, a people that practices mercy and grace, receiving everyone while waiting with an expectancy, the moving of the Holy Spirit, that culture, listen to this, that culture will produce an environment of restoration. Let me say this again. When we as a church manage to create this culture, meaning a people that practices mercy and grace, when we as a church receive everyone while waiting with an expectancy, anticipation of the moving of the Holy Spirit, when we create that atmosphere, that culture in this place will produce an environment of restoration. An environment of restoration. Who in here needs some restoration? We all need some restoration. In that culture, people will be restored. That's what we are about. We are to see people being restored. Can we stop contributing to the statistics that say that many people go to church and they are hurt in church? Instead of being restored, they are hurt. We're going to focus on restoring people. We're going to create a culture by practicing mercy and grace, okay? By understanding what God wants to do in our lives and welcoming everybody and waiting with anticipation, we're going to create a culture that will produce an environment that will produce restoration in our lives. John chapter five, verse five through nine, we're gonna read. John 5, verse 5 through 9. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. I mean, 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he was already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answers, answer him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down in before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, and meant a man, and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. I want to talk to you about a God, a God of restoration. As a church, we are creating a culture that will produce an environment that will be perfect for restoration. That's what we want to do. And this is why I say that as a church, we will create an environment. Because listen to this part. Verse 5. Wrong place. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. The Bible doesn't say how long he had been in this place. Was he there for a week and he hadn't been healed, restored? Or was, was he there for already two years? The Bible doesn't specify how long he had been trying. It just says that he tried and it hadn't worked yet. Okay? But what is interesting to me is that we see in here a place where the atmosphere is conducive to restoration. That's what this place is about. The waters, when they are moved by the angel... This is, this is a, a place that produces restoration. However, in a place that is designed, that, that, that is conducive for restoration, this man hadn't been healed. It was until Jesus came and had a conversation with him. When, when he came in contact with Jesus, that he received restoration. Listen to what I'm saying. I want this place to create a culture that will produce an environment for restoration. I want this place to become a culture that produces that kind of environment. Now, according to this passage, that means that it is not what we do. It is not us who produce the restoration, but it is Jesus himself. People that come in here will come into a place that is conducive for restoration, but it won't be until Jesus has an encounter with them that they will be restored. We have to understand that has to be clear for us, that our responsibility is to create an environment, a culture that is conducive for restoration. But we have to understand who is the one that does restoration. Because we can have someone in here in a perfect atmosphere where the word of God is taught by truth. Not just that the the word will be just spoken to to fulfill your desires. No, where where the word of God is spoken in a way that it cuts, that it changes. But yet, someone could be here for 38 years and not be healed. You see, the environment, the environment it's, is to be conducive for transformation, for restoration. But it is an encounter with Jesus that will lead to restoration. Yeah. Amen? Amen? It's clear. It is our job to create an atmosphere that is conducive to restoration. Yet, it will be an encounter with Jesus that will produce such restoration. Yeah. You have to understand that. I'm telling you, leaders in this church, you have to understand that. Our responsibility is to create that atmosphere in this place. But after that, 
you have to let go. It is God's responsibility that does the changing. You see, I, I do a lot of marriage counseling in this. And I, you know one of the things that I, I had to learn really quickly? That there is really nothing I can say, nothing I can say that will change someone's mind about what they want to do in their marriage. It is an encounter with Jesus Christ. We are to create an atmosphere, to provide the tools that they need to have a successful marriage, but it is an encounter with Jesus Christ that makes the difference in their lives. Amen? Are you with me? It is clear. God is a God of restoration. Now, let me share a couple of things that are implied in this statement that I said. Do you know that God is all about restoration, right? Since day one. Since day one, he has been all about restoration. You remember our cousin, Adam? And how because of his wife, he failed? Because of her, he got in trouble? He didn't do anything wrong? It was her. Man, help me here. We don't have that many men in here. But you see... Since the fall of men, God has always been about restoration. God has always been about restoration. And I love this part. So it states on verse 5 that there was a man that was sick for a long time. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? I want to pause in this verse for a second. Because I love this image. I love the fact that there is a place with the right atmosphere for you to be restored. Yet, Jesus comes to you in that place. He comes to you. You, Do you understand how big this is? You didn't come to him. He comes to you. He came to me. Every one of us, he came to us. He had the desire to have an encounter with each one of us. I believe it says something like this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were not interested at all in his sacrifice, not interested at all in what he could do for us, not interested at all in changing our ways, while we were in that condition, in sin, sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? He came to us. Jesus, ask him, do you want to be made well? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? There is only one reason, one purpose out of that encounter, and it is to ask you that question. Do you want to be made well? When you have an encounter with Jesus, when you experience those emotions inside of you, when you experience those feelings There is one question that is always there. Do you want to be restored? I don't know if at times we think that Jesus just likes to flirt with people. Meaning, flirting while dating, just flirting. No, with Jesus is never about just flirting. If he comes to you and you're experiencing those things, there is a question that comes with that. Is do you want to be restored? Do you want to be made well? Do you think that he just comes so that you can get high? So that you can have a moment where you lose yourself? 
God is about restoration. So if out of that encounter that you have with Jesus, there is no restoration, there is a huge problem. When you serve a God of restoration, it implies that your life somehow has to be restored. It has to change. Otherwise, it'll be an oxymoron to serve a God of restoration and your life never changes. I hope God has been speaking to your life through this message. The desire of Bethesda Church and Pastor Richard is to change lives through love. And we are very grateful for the opportunity that this medium allows us to reach multitudes. If you would like to continue listening to more messages from our pastor or to know more about this ministry, look for us online at mybethesda.org or on facebook.com slash mybethesda. Thank you. That's actually an oxymoron. Interesting. I worship a God of restoration, but somehow my life is never transformed or restored. I'm questioning if you're really worshiping God. I'm questioning if you really had an encounter with God, if there is no restoration uh, applied into your life. When Jesus has an encounter with us, it is always, always, always room for him to restore something. So, do you want to be restored? I'm asking you. When you feel those emotions, when you feel that joy, amazing joy, and you, want, you, you feel tears coming down from you, I'm asking you, in that moment, do you want to be restored? You know why I ask that? Because I don't know if, if this doesn't happen to you. But every time I am in God's presence, He never fails to tell me, what I still need to work on. It's like, it's like a good husband and a good wife. You're always reminded of what you need to work on. Not, not, a, not, a, not a funny joke? Not a, not a funny joke, okay. This is an image. I truly see this image. You're in his presence, really feeling his presence. And all of a sudden, you get this thought that says, you don't haven't talked to your sister in three years. And you know what we do? The devil is a liar. I'm having a great moment right here. Why do you remind me of that crazy woman? The, the devil is trying to steal my joy right now. <laughs> Not happening. Listen. When that happens, do you know that God is asking you a question? Do you want to be restored? Do you want to be made well? Listen, sin, sin, whatever shape it comes into your life, sin kills. It kills everything around it. It kills everything that it comes in contact with. Just because you don't see just because you don't see a physical consequence of your sin, it doesn't mean that it's not killing what it has come in contact with. I wonder how many husbands that watch pornography don't realize that that is causing damage into their marriage. And it is just a moment of, it's just a matter of time before you see the physical consequences of something that you think is hidden. And had no consequences. Just because God's mercy and grace is amazing. It doesn't mean that there are not consequences for what we do. 
Listen, I'm asking you a question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be restored? The reason why I ask that is because God does the miracle, but you have to act on it. You have to want to be restored in order for this to work. Why, why is it that he asked him, do you want to be made well? Why didn't he just pray for him? You would think that he, being there for so long, really wants to get healed. He still asked him. You know, because it is up to you and me to allow him to restore us. You can come and you can cry and you can feel his, feel his presence. And when he says, go and make things right with your sister, when you ignore that, you're answering, no, I don't want to be made well. You're saying, no, I don't want to be restored. Every time that God brings something into your life that needs to be restored and you ignore it, or neglect it, that's what you're saying, I'm not interested in being restored. I thought this would be a little more exciting message, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. It's only the second part of the series, so. It's either gets, it gets darker before the sun comes out, or it just stays dark the whole night. That's fine. Listen. One of the things that I, I want to mention to you on restoration is that God sees restoration differently than you and I see it. When God thinks of restoration, he thinks of a statement. This is what I mean. For us, restoration is a process. For him, restoration is simply a statement. For us, it's a process. We see it as a process. God doesn't see it as a process. He sees it as a statement. He said you are restored. And that's it. Listen. He said to him, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no men to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Do you want to be restored? Lord, she's the one that started and she's not talking to me. I can't do anything about it. Lord, those books don't say anything about that. Lord, there's always a good reason why you're not moving forward with what God has asked you to change. Lord, Pastor Richard was not very clear on his marriage class. I didn't really understand what he said. Lord, there's always an excuse, but listen to this. Jesus simply said to him, rise. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Now, pause for a second, because this instance right here doesn't leave room for, for a process, for time. But no doubt there is a process in here. And there is a display of how God sees restoration and how we see restoration. When God says to you, rise, meaning you want to be restored, now get up, rise, you're restored. For us, it means, Lord, before I get up, you restore me. And God says, no, rise. Rise first. Rise. Believe. Act upon it. No, Lord, fix my husband first. No, no, no. Act upon it first. Listen, if you want to be restored, you have to stop seeing restoration as a process that begins and ends. 
If you want to be restored and you had an encounter with Jesus, whatever he said, you act upon it. Don't worry about what it looks like. Don't worry about what it feels like. Don't worry about the, the appearance. Don't worry about what other people may think. Just act upon it. Restoration for us is a process. You know what? It's going to take a while for me to be the husband that I need to be because I did wrong. So now I need to work really hard to make up for all those years. God is saying, just rise. Act upon it. Act as a husband worthy of the woman that you have. No, but I need to wait. I need to wait a couple of years so that I can, I can do things better. No, get up today, rise today, and act on it. Don't wait for change to be reflected in your life to act like what you are, what God called you to be. He sees rest- restoration differently than us. So there is a God of restoration. And as a church, we have to be agents of restoration. Remember, this is all about what this church is about, this series. God is a God of restoration. We are to create an atmosphere in this place that produces restoration by practicing mercy and grace. Amen? Excuse me, by welcoming everyone and by waiting with an expectancy for what God is going to do in this place. Okay? Because He's a God of restoration. And you and I are agents of restoration. You and I are agents of restoration, instruments of restoration. Some of you are thinking, I knew it. I knew it. My husband is going to feel me as an instrument of restoration. I knew it. I knew it. That's not what I mean. And you will see right now. Instruments of restoration. In, in this culture, there are some things that I want to make sure that we all learn how to do. And in being instruments of restoration, there's a couple of things that you need to learn. Number one is you need to learn to find value in people. If you are going to be an agent of restoration, an instrument of restoration, you have to learn to find value in people. And I didn't Say that word just vaguely. Find, I use that intentionally because sometimes it's difficult to see value in people right away. You have to find value in people. You know how they say, if you keep digging, you'll find something negative about someone? You've heard that before? I don't know if that's the right expression or not. Well, I think, this, I think there's something wrong with this person. I'm gonna pray to God to give me revelation about what it is wrong with him. I'm telling you, there's people that do that. I feel something's wrong with this person. Listen, every time you start looking for something wrong in someone, you will find it. Everyone, everyone from here in that direction has. Everyone from here, there, have negative things. (laughs) Just kidding, everyone. If you look for something negative, for, for something bad in someone, you will find it. So stop looking for things. Stop looking for things. Instead, find value in people. Listen, this, this can change your life. 
Learn how to find value in people. It will help your relationships. Everyone, everyone has value. God has made us all with something special inside of us. Life has been tough on some people more than on others. And so this wonderful pearl, this wonderful jewel is hidden inside. In all of the pain, in all of the scars. And so you dismiss someone just because they don't think the way that you think. You dismiss someone just because they don't act like you do or just because they don't have the same culture that you do. Listen, as a church, we are going to learn how to find value in people. Will you get hurt that way? Yes, you will get hurt. You will open up your arms to someone that maybe later on they will stab you in the back. It doesn't matter. Our job is to find value in people, to be agents of restoration. Not fun, huh? Not fun. All right, let's move quickly then. That way this sour moment may not be as bad. Agents of restorations, you have to find value in people. Why do you have to find value in people? Do you know that restoration is not cheap? Anybody in here has entered into any restoration projects or projects of restoration? Let's say kitchen. Let's say entire house. How about cars? Restoring a car. You buy a classic, a beautiful car, and then you want to restore it. How expensive would that be? Very expensive. You see? You can't be an agent of restoration unless you find value in someone because it is expensive. It is expensive to be part of a restoration project. It's not cheap. Do you think that restoring your life, restoring someone's life, a ministry, it's cheap? It's not. There is a price to pay. There is a cost to pay. And you have to find value in people so that you're willing to invest in them how much well what's their value how much are you willing to invest in your spouse what's their value find value in people you know i was i was looking at a video this is there's a ceo that i like to watch uh he's he's got a lot of uh, uh mentoring that he does online And so he said, as a CEO, in an organization, if you have a member of your organization that is causing everyone's life to be miserable, he said, it doesn't matter if that is your your lead salesman. It doesn't matter if that's your most important man in the organization. He said, get rid of him. And I, I see the point. I see it. But I can't do anything like that. You see, I believe there is value in everybody. And someone saw value in me and was willing to risk and wait. You see, you have to see value in people to be able to invest in them, to be able to risk. When people will tell you, why why is that person preaching? You see, they don't see value. All they see is what is negative, what is bad. But when you see value, you are willing to risk. I'm just moving forward. Agents of restoration. To be an agent of restoration, you have to find value in people. Can we practice that? Can we exercise that? 
when you get out today and you see somebody next to you and you're going to hug them, can you find the value? Can you start finding that value? When you get back to work, find value in people around you? The second thing that we have to learn to be agents of restoration is we have to believe in them. Now you saw value in them, now you have to believe in them. And believing in them comes in two facets, two, two aspects. Number one, at one point or another, you have to believe for them. You believe for them. Just like Jesus, he believed for him. Just like those four men that were carrying the, the, the men that was incapable. They believe for him. Jesus said when he saw their faith, you see, you have to carry them into the next level. If we are going to be agents of restoration, you have to find value in people so much that you believe for them, for them. I know that you can find people around you that don't want anything to do with God. Well, guess what? Believe for them. Believe for them. See the value. See what God could do with their lives and believe for them, okay? Carry them to God's presence, and the second way is believe with them. So you believe for them and you believe with them. You know, Christianity is difficult. And we need someone with us that believes with us. That when you're feeling a little down, you can call this person. Yeah. We are to be agents of restoration. Amen? So we have to learn how to find value in people. We have to learn how to believe in them. And we have to invest in them. Yep. Give of your time. Give of your energy into people. Yeah. Okay? And I'm going to close. Is that time to close? First close. first close. Yes, yes. It's the first close. <laughs> God is a God of restoration. You and I are agents of restoration. And number three, restoration starts in the altar. Restoration stars in the altar. I'm going to come back later and talk more about restoration. I wanted to do just a little, um, touch a little bit on the surface. But I, I do want to make sure that we get this last one clear. Restoration starts in the altar. We've established that, that the process of restoration For us, it's a process. For God, it's just simply a statement. We established that restoration requires a price. It's expensive. From that car, that kitchen, whatever it is that you want to restore, it's costly. It's not cheap. Okay? So when I say that restoration stores in the altar, it's because you do have a price to pay. You do have a price to pay for the restoration. Jesus did it all on the cross, yes. But guess what? You can't come to the altar empty-handed. You have to bring something into the altar. I know that we all want to be restored. But restoration is not free. Let me ask you this. In order for your kitchen to be restored, in order for your car to be restored, did you have to give up something? Besides money, there's other things that you had to give. 
Besides money, you have to give up something else. And this is what I want you to bring to the altar. Without this process, there is no restoration for your life. Because we're all jumpy and ready to go and say, Lord, here I am. I want you to restore my life. When Jesus comes and says, do you want to be restored? We all, it's easy to say, yes, I want to be restored. Okay. So in order for restoration to take place, the old has to go out. Listen, this is very simple. You cannot restore a kitchen unless you demolish, you destroy, you remove, and you throw away all of the old cabinets. You can't restore that kitchen with those cabinets in there. Listen, this, this may seem like something very deep spiritually speaking. I'm, I'm actually speaking in the natural, right? It cannot happen. You can't have both of them in the same place. You can't. So I'm asking you today, do you want restoration in your life? Because in order for you to have a new kitchen, you have to let go of your old kitchen. In order for you to have a new engine on your Mustang 67, you have to get rid of the old engine. In order for you to have a new life, you have to get rid of your old life. You can't have both of them. This is, this is key in restoration. You cannot have both of them. And that starts in the altar. You come to the altar, you come to the altar, and you lay it all down before God. Here is my old life, Lord. Here are my old habits. This sounds as simple as it can be. And yet, I think is the number one reason why we don't see restorations. Jesus is always asking us, do you want to be restored? Perfect. I already pay the price. Now, you give the old. This is biblical. Mark chapter 2, verse 22. Yes, you know that. Mark 2, verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine bursts, the wineskin. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into what? New wineskins. So do you want to be restored? Do you want to be restored? There is a price to pay. You can't bring your old friendships into a new Christian life. You can't bring old habits into an anointed life that God has promised you. How does that even work? God has promised you an anointed life that he's going to use in a powerful way. But you have the exact same habits that you had before. I mean, you fast Facebook to watch Netflix. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Listen, if you want restoration, there is a trade-in. There's a trade-in. You can't take what God has promised you and keep what you created. You cannot take what God has offered you 
and keep what you've created. You've got to have one of the other. So if you want transformation, it starts. If you want restoration, it starts in the altar by saying, Lord, I lay it all down. I don't want part of this old life. I said I was done. So, would you please stand? This one was rough. <laughs> Telling you. Listen, there is a God of restoration. People that come in here are to be restored. You and I are agents of restoration. We are to find value. We are to believe in them. And we are going to invest in them. But for you and me, for restoration to start, it starts in the altar. Listen, the, the altar is not just something symbolic. It's not just something symbolic. When we are worshiping the altar, there's something special in here. So during worship, listen, have the freedom to come to the altar and start presenting to God those things that he needs to remove from us. When the preacher is done speaking, Listen, even if he doesn't invite you, you can always go to the altar and start your process of restoration. Lord, there are things that I have not given up yet. Help me. Help me. I don't like that aspect of my life. I don't like that. I don't want to be part of that anymore. Would you help me? You see, that is the beginning step of restoration, the altar. So would you bow your head? I'm going to pray. I don't know if Someone in here needs some restoration. But when Jesus is approaching you, all he means is that he's dealing with you. Every time he's dealing with you, there is room to remove some things, to change some things. Don't walk away. Don't leave this place with what you brought in that does not belong to the new life that he created you for. Restoration starts in the altar. Let's pray. If you need to come to the altar, just come. If you don't want anybody to pray for you, just go to one of the corners. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to explain anything to us. It's God that you have to explain. But restoration has to take place in your life. And it starts with you. With laying it all before God and saying, God, I don't want part of that anymore. Let's pray. Father, we worship and we thank you. Amazing King, wonderful, wonderful Savior. Father, as we're creating a culture that will produce an environment of restoration, would you help us to understand that restoration starts in the altar? That God, it is when we respond to your words do you want to be made well when we understand what that means when you're bringing a conflict into our hearts that says you need to fix this you need to change this you need to stop that you need you need to not be part of that anymore god that when we hear that voice instead of running away from it we can come to you and say lord forgive me god touch my heart god do something in our lives
move in a special way. Father, I thank you. I magnify your name. Amazing King, wonderful Savior. You are powerful and you're amazing. Listen, have a moment with him. Have a moment with him where you start laying things down. He's not going to listen to this. He's not going to give you a new life until you get rid of, until you remove, until you say no to your old ways. Father, don't allow anybody to walk out of this place. I know that these are confronting moments. I know that it feels like confrontation. And we don't like confrontation, Lord. But I pray that everyone in this place and everyone watching may have a revelation, God, of what it means to hear your voice saying, do you want to be made well? When we experience your presence, when we get those thoughts, that are suggesting that things need to change in our lives, would you help us, Lord, to recognize and say, God, forgive me. I don't want that anymore. I don't want part of that anymore. Father, I bless your church today. I bless them. I declare them, God, agents of restoration, that we are going to bless people. We are going to restore people in this place. Yes, Father, we worship and we thank you. Just praise him for a moment. Give me you a hope I'm not too late. Hallelujah. Lord, give me you. Take over, Lord, give me you. In a powerful way, God. Lord, give me you. Help us. Help us, Lord, in this journey. We are a young church, new vision, Give me new you. leadership. Would you help us create that atmosphere, Everything that culture in this place where people can be restored? Give Would you help you. us, God, encourage people to come to the altar and lay it all down before you? God, at any time, during Lord, praise and worship, give me you. during the preaching, God, that people may have an encounter Lord, with you in the altar. They will sacrifice to you, Lord, God. Give me you. Father, we thank you. We magnify your name. Lord, give Hallelujah. Me you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amazing King. Hallelujah. Listen, you continue praying. Just lay it all down before this amazing King. Pastor, I, I don't know how to do that. When God is restoring your life, when God is working in you, listen, He doesn't wait for you to finish the process to treat you as if you had already. 
He doesn't wait for you to be there to treat you as if you are already. We have a hard time with that. We have a hard time acting like something we know we're not. And listen, this is not about faking it. This is about believing when God says, rise. This is about having the faith to believe that when God called you whole, complete, heal, restore, that you can get up and act upon it, that you are a new creature, that you are no longer living bound by sin, bound by those things that in other times were were oppressing you. Listen, it is about believing that when he says, rise, you get up and start acting according to what he called you to be. Even though you may not have it all figured out, you start acting like you are what he called you to be. Listen, this is not about faking it. No, this is about seeing yourself believing and moving in the direction that God called you to be. So today I'm telling you, rise, rise. Restoration starts in the altar. And when you lay it all down, listen, you get up from that altar and you start acting as what he called you not as what you were two minutes ago one minute ago listen it is that simple for him it was just seconds for you and me it may feel like eternity a long time but i'm telling you today don't wait for what you consider a process to be finished to act like what god called you to be if he says you are whole that means that today you get up and start acting according to what he called you to be Father, I bless your people today, and I declare restoration over their lives. God, I pray that when you confront them with this question, I pray that they do two things. I pray that they lay down their old ways. And number two, I pray that they act upon it, that they rise today. Father, we worship and we thank you. Amazing King. I hope you have enjoyed this message. And if one day you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and would like to visit, our address is 71001 Airport Freeway, Richland Hills, Texas, 76118. We would love to meet you. If you have any requests and would like for us to pray for you, you can call us at 817-427-0010 and leave a voice message. Contact us and let us know your comments. Once again, you can give us a call at 817-427-0010 or write us an email to info at mybethesda.org.